Christmas came early for Dolphins fans in 1972. Their team had just completed an undefeated run through the NFL's regular season. And now, on December 24, a 1 o'clock kickoff. So check this out. All the way until 1976, the NFL did not award home field advantage to the team with a better record. The divisions simply took turns getting home field. So yes, the Dolphins might have only one home game in the playoffs as a reward for being undefeated. This one would be in Miami on Christmas Eve day against the Cleveland Browns. Josh Lewin with you. Welcome to the NFL postseason 1972. All week, everyone knew if the Finns won this one, they'd be home again only if Oakland beat the Steelers on Saturday afternoon. But if the Steelers beat Oakland, that game would be in Pittsburgh. More on that game in a bit. As for Dolphins-Browns, believe it or not, no television broadcast would be allowed in Miami. A very different time and mindset in the early 1970s, right? Playoff tickets were precious, especially since it now appeared there was only going to be this one home game. And the tickets themselves were beautiful, embossed with grainy photos of Coach Shula and owner Joe Robbie under the headline, A Winning Team. The owner's face on the ticket. (laughs) The assistant coach's faces were under fancy hats in the newspaper. All the players had made the most of local advertising deals all year. Cruise Casuals, men's clothing store, had been featuring Zonka, Kick, and Moral in newspaper ads for a while. But now, how popular is everybody? The assistant coaches were getting some run. Bill Arnsbarger in a turtleneck. Yeah, baby. 14-0 Miami against 10-4 Cleveland. Let's talk about those Cleveland Browns. Cleveland was supposed to have had a rebuilding year here in 72. They were still getting their young quarterback, Mike Phipps, assimilated, but a light schedule allowed them to win eight of nine down the stretch and sneak into the postseason. Really, their only truly impressive win had been a tight one over the Steelers, but otherwise, they were deemed pretty lucky to be 10-4 and and in the tournament at all. So, the Browns had come down to Miami as 11-point underdog, something they apparently took as a slight. They were motivated by that and by the fact that not a single Brown was named to the Pro Bowl team. Only one other AFC team, 3-11 New England, shared that indignity. So, Cleveland's outspoken owner, Art Modell, was pretty sarcastic, claiming, hey, his team was simply just to have a ticket to the dance. He said, I just hope we can make it through the National Anthem Sunday afternoon. Well, the Dolphins, meantime, they had the most players chosen for the Pro Bowl, with Stanfield, Bonacani, Anderson, and Scott on defense. Little, Evans, Zonka, Morris, and Warfield on offense. Warfield was selected at wide receiver despite being number 60 in the league in receptions, with only 29. It was recognized that his team threw the ball less than anybody else but he was still the most respected receiver in the league despite the low stat total. So, Warfield indeed an all-pro, and now he'd be going against his former team. And he'd try to downplay this angle, but come on, never had a player been traded against his wishes, didn't want to show that a mistake had been made. And not for nothing, the Warfield trade was for the draft pick that gave the Browns this young Mr. Phipps at quarterback. So, indeed, this game was personal for Warfield. He had grown up just a few miles from Brown's training camp. And, yeah, he had originally taken the trade to Miami pretty hard. Warfield had learned so much in Cleveland from Jim Brown, including handling physical and verbal abuse from opponents. He learned that if you think about revenge, 
You're not concentrating on the objective, which is to win that day's game, full stop. Jim Brown knew what it was about. Don't get mad, get even. Meantime, if you looked around on the rest of that sideline, well, Coach Shula had grown up in Ohio as a Browns fan. He had played for the Browns, just like his star receiver. Same for Carl Tassif, the Dolphins' defensive backs and special teams coach. Jim Mandich had idolized the Browns as a boy, watching every Cleveland game on the TV at his father's bar, just 40 minutes from that old stadium. Heck, Bob Matheson had played four years in Cleveland. So there was so much intrigue, and yes, the Dolphins were healthy favorites, but the run game was hardly healthy coming in. Mercury Morris had been pounded in that pursuit of 1,000 regular season yards the week before. He was walking very gingerly. Zonka and his 1,100 yards had been in bed most of the week with a stomach virus. And let's not ignore the biggie here. There was a quarterback dilemma at hand for the Dolphins. Bob Greasy was back to full strength. His backup was a former MVP who was the league's leading passer in this regular season. It was a great question. Who would get the call? Who should get the call? The guy who had started the undefeated run or the guy who had continued the undefeated run? Uh, Well, in a fitful, fan-driven quarrel, the answer, it turned out, was moral. And as game day approached, fever pitch is an apt description. As recounted in the book 17-0, there was a full-page ad in the Miami Herald placed by the Cleveland Plain Dealer. It had a large drawing of a football with a fuse attached all wrapped up for Christmas. It read, Merry Christmas to the Dolphins. We hate to see you fans all anxious about completing a perfect season. So we're sending you a can't-miss antidote, the Cleveland Browns. By 6 o'clock tonight, you can stop getting all worked up over the fortunes of the Dolphins in the Super Bowl. Instead, all you'll have to think about is a 14-1 and record. But wait, the Miami Herald had placed an ad on the Plain Dealer, pointing out how many players slipped through the Browns' hands and it ended up with Miami. I mean, fair is fair, right? Paul Warfield said he had been sleeping fitfully, if at all, all week. His wife and kids had gotten back to their permanent home outside Cleveland for the holidays, so he was all alone in his big high-rise condo on Hallandale Beach. He said he woke up just after 5 a.m. on game day, disoriented. He said, not since junior high have I had trouble sleeping before a game. Not only because it was against Cleveland, but any ball game is important, certainly. But more importantly is, you know, there was an immense desire, um, an immense desire, and I think that uh, I can speak for the teammates to get back to the Super Bowl uh, to prove to certainly the football sporting public that we, in fact, were a legitimate winning team. And so that was going to be the very first ball game. And ironically, it was against uh, many of my former teammates that I played with in Cleveland because, uh, you know, it occurred uh, certainly in that third year uh, with me being in Miami. Uh, obviously, I wanted to play a, a good ball game. I want to play a good ball game every ball game. That was my model to play as well as I possibly could. Uh, the incentive probably was a little bit greater, but we found a very competitive opponent during the course of that ball game in the Cleveland Browns. We knew that they were a good football team because uh, certainly they qualified for the playoffs, but uh, that was perhaps as tough a game as we played in the entire playoffs. There was certainly a sense that anything could have happened this December day. After all, the day before in the first playoff game between Oakland and Pittsburgh, 
Pittsburgh had trailed 6-0 with a minute to go when Ken Stabler went back to pass. He went crazy getting away from pressure and ran 30 yards for the apparent game-winning touchdown. It appeared to be a 7-6 Oakland final coming. But then there was Terry Bradshaw barely getting out of trouble. And he put one up on a desperation heave, a fourth down pass with 15 seconds left. Jack Tatum drilled Frenchie Fuqua just as the ball arrived. The ball went flying out of your TV picture, but suddenly there was Franco Harris appearing from off screen. He had apparently picked up the ball just a few inches above the ground, and he turned it into a 42-yard touchdown, the game winner. Still known to this day, as you may know, as the Immaculate Reception. And by the way, the other playoff game Saturday was another relative stunner. Roger Staubach throwing two touchdowns in the final two minutes as the Cowboys had to rally to beat San Francisco 30-28. So, against that backdrop, Dolphins fans knowing there would be no more home playoff games here. The Orange Bowl filled up this afternoon of Christmas Eve. The hot sun just baking the artificial turf. And that turf still so divisive. The new polyturf surface, hated by most of the players, but actually enjoyed by only one. The Dolphins punter, Larry Seipel. Well, it was nice, <laughs> to be honest with you. Because when you hit ball, it, it just rolled. Um, I didn't have any problem in the Orange Bowl. I thought, you know, the Orange Bowl was one hell of a stadium for us. We won a lot of games in the Orange Bowl. Uh, and then they go and tear it down. I can't understand that, but they did. Uh, but, you know, I always liked the Orange Bowl. The only problem you had at the Orange Bowl was the parking. But everything else, you know, when I first got there in 67, you know, um, the first couple of years, you had the, the flipper in the damn end zone throwing the ball out of the pool, uh, which was fun. You know, it was, it was entertaining for the fans. And, but we, uh, we won a lot of games at the Orange Bowl. Well, yes, but that's despite that knee-destroying polyturf that most everyone else despised. Let's go to a different Larry, the Hall of Famer Larry Little. He spoke for the rest of the team. It was the worst ever. I mean, on a, we had two different kind of turfs. On a rainy day, it was real slippery. On a dry day, it was hard as hell, like cement. So, you know, it was the worst. It was the worst. All right, to the turf we go. And just like the Giants had done in Week 13... The Browns had a defensive line that was swearing they would simply stop the most famous Larry on the team, number 39, Larry Zonka, and that would be their key. Sure enough, New York had done that. They held Zonka to 19 yards on eight carries in the first half up at Yankee Stadium. But on that day, other Dolphins had picked up the slack. Today, that really wouldn't be the case. Mercury Morris was still banged up, and the Dolphins' leading rusher in this game would end up being Paul Warfield on two end-arounds. Here's Paul Warfield now. We developed a great, great running or rushing attack. And uh, uh, certainly, uh, you know, with uh, Jim Kick, uh, Larry Zonka, as well as Mercury Mars, and an outstanding offensive line, we could control the flow and the tempo of a ball game. And that was very important to our overall success. Uh, I used to say, and kiddingly, uh, if we wanted to flip, uh, we're, uh, we're obviously going to march the entire field, whatever the distance may be, take off about several minutes of the clock, and then, of course, score going in, usually seven points, sometimes three points, but usually seven points. Meanwhile, the opposition would be sitting or sitting uh, on the sidelines. Several minutes have gone by. They haven't been able to get on the field, and we are prodding 
down the field ever going to that goal and then clinching that goal. Well, you know, the opposition would get the football and come on the field and for some reason feel pressed uh, to try to make a quick score. And we had excellent, excellent defense coached by the great Bill Arnsbarger. And usually uh, they would immediately make a mistake. Well, we'd get the football back again and then start on another long march. And uh, so by the time halftime occurred, the score could either be 14 nothing, or 14-10 or whatever it was going to be. And the opposition only had the ball maybe two or three times and they would start to press under those conditions. Well, fortunately on this day, conditions favored Dolphins' special teams and virtually right away. Charlie Babb blocked a first-quarter punt, fell on it at the six. Curtis Johnson picked him up, lifted him off the ground, gave him a little push into the end zone, and it was ruled, touchdown Miami. Well, I, I had uh, told my defensive back coach that I thought I, I could get through there uh, the way they were blocking it. He said, well, if you get the chance, go do it. I mean, it it, it it wasn't uh, drawn up that way. It was just uh, I had noticed that if, if we ten men came to the front line, you you could find a gap that you could get through, and uh, they they weren't prepared for it. And, and it was a big play. It kind of turned the momentum around, but uh, we were kind of uh, struggling uh, a little bit offensively that day. And uh, it, if you remember, if you'll remember back, uh, the previous day was when uh, uh, Harris from uh, uh, Pittsburgh caught that no-brainer touchdown pass at the end of the game to score to beat Oakland that bounced off Jack Tatum's helmet. And so... The night before the game, when we all got together, everybody was kind of uh, gazing into the stars saying, hey, anything can happen. And then we go into the Cleveland game, and uh, Cleveland jumps out on top of us right away, and everybody was kind of uh, staring into space, uh, thinking, hey, our season's going to end. And and it takes. And all it takes is one play or so, and everybody shakes the the, uh, the stars out of their helmet, and all of a sudden you're back in the game, and we started playing, and and luckily got through that game. Miami would add a 40-yard field goal soon after that play by Babb, but Gary Premian also missed a pair of long field goal attempts and had another one that didn't count. With the clock running, no timeouts at the end of the first half. The field goal team came on. It appeared that Garrow had poked home a gimme putt from 17 yards out, but a couple linemen had not gotten set in time. So the field goal was negated. It stayed 10-0 Miami after two quarters of play. Young Mike Phipps for Cleveland had been intercepted three times already and also had a perfect pass dropped in the end zone. But still, the Browns were only down 10-0. So they came out charged up, scoring right away in the third quarter, cut it to 10 to 7. Midway through the fourth quarter, Garrow snuck in a 46-yarder. That increased the lead to 13 to 7, still too close for comfort with about 10 minutes to go. Cleveland drove back into Miami territory 
only to see Dick Anderson intercept a long pass at the 18, and that might have sealed the game. But after Anderson eluded one tackle and trying to stretch out his run, he fumbled the ball, and it was recovered by Fair Hooker of the Browns. Two plays later, on a rare-blown coverage, Hooker would score, and Cleveland was now on top 14-13 with eight minutes to go. The Dolphins hadn't been behind this late in the game since week three. By now, the sun was out of view and setting in the western sky. The Orange Bowl lights were on, and there was a sense of dread, not just darkness looming on the horizon. 38-year-old Earl Morrill jogged out to the huddle, and of all people, Paul Warfield was the man who spoke up. Mild-mannered, be seen and not heard Paul Warfield. That never happened, but it did happen this time with the season on the line. You know, I felt compelled that, you know, certainly time was running out. Cleveland had played an outstanding football game against us. I sensed that, you know, that was the precise moment that we had to put everything together if we wanted to advance in the tournament. And uh, fortunately, you know, our team responded. And, um, you know, certainly it was a year in which we uh, had uh, opportunities in other ball games, but that was a little bit different. That ball game proved to be, uh, as I indicate or indicated, uh, one of the most difficult ones throughout the entire 1972 season and uh, the most difficult one certainly in, in the playoffs even though the following week we play an outstanding Pittsburgh Steeler uh, football team that um, uh, you know uh, played us very well through the first half of that ball game and you know pretty much equaled us uh, before we gained control of it but the Cleveland Browns football team um, really showed that uh, they deserved to be in the playoffs and um, we had to use all of our resources and we came up with a couple of key plays Earl Maul throwing the deep ball we thought that we could throw it in the middle in certain situations and we received that opportunity late in that ball game to put us into a position uh, so that Jim Kay could go to, you know, final yards to uh, score the game-winning touchdown. We'll get to that play in short order, but the one that started the drive, the one that Warfield suggested, chef's kiss, which no one was saying back in 1972. A slant for Warfield, his first reception of the day. Morrill never looked anywhere else, and he fired it to Warfield, who took it in stride. He got flipped onto his back at the 35. In this game, remember, Zonka still not at full strength. Neither was Mercury Morris. So down the field, the Dolphins went without them. Warfield's number was called again. He fought cornerback Ben Davis, who was bumping and running with him for 10 yards. But finally, Warfield broke free. The deep ball was a little overthrown. Warfield had to leap for it. His catch was poetry almost identical to his touchdown slide through the mud in Yankee Stadium two weeks before. Just this time, it wasn't in the end zone. He had knocked the wind out of himself, but it was a 35-yard gain down to the Cleveland 20. Soon after, having caught his breath again, another pass designed for Warfield went into the end zone. It never actually got there. Cleveland's Billy Andrews was called for holding on a Warfield's jersey, and the 10-yard penalty made it first and goal at the eight. Warfield himself may have been ready to drive a stake through the hearts of the team that had traded him away, but now it was time for the run game to come in as a change of pace and finally contribute. The all-but-forgotten-about Jim Kick would get that handoff at the 8 
and he'd had a rough game. He'd already fumbled deep in Cleveland territory earlier in the day. But now with the game on the line, the season on the line, Morrill called that play that Larry Little loves so much. Kuchenberg pulling from left guard, Little joining Norm Evans on the right side to clear out the traffic. Zonka was out there blocking too. And here's what it sounded like from the radio booth upstairs. All right, Kick and Zonka are the running backs. Fully splits far side, Warfield near side, first and goal, Miami from the Browns' eight-yard line. On the snap, hands off, kick through the middle, he's got a touchdown! The center of that offensive line, Kuchenberg, Langer, and Little just blocked people up into the nickel seats and kick rambled eight yards right straight ahead for the TD. Yepremian will try the point from placement. Morrow will hold with 4.54 left. The Dolphins now lead 19 to 14. Mercury Morris, the first to greet Jim Kick on the sideline after the score. Those two guys who have been jockeying for playing time astride of Zonka all year long, sharing a happy embrace. Mr. Clutch, Jim Kick, had indeed gotten into the end zone, sliding to a halt with his right shoulder at the base of the goalpost. The offense had finally come through with an 80-yard drive to take the lead. Warfield, suddenly chatty in that huddle. It accounted for 60 of the 80 yards on that drive by himself. He'd only had 600 receiving yards all regular season, but he added 60 in just a few minutes when it mattered the most. And good for Jim Kick being the guy who got the glory at the end. Here's his longtime teammate, Dick Anderson. You know, Jim Kick and, and Larry Zonka were very, very, very close friends. And Mercury um, was the uh, the other back that had to to replace. So, in reality, um, on first and second down, Mercury was in a lot. But in and we went to a pat. But he wasn't a, a great pass catcher. So when we went to you know the plays that were, were throwing the ball, then Jim Kick was the person that that we wanted in there because he he could break and, and get open and catch the ball. Um, and so it really was more um, on what down um, and where you were in the field of which one of those two were going to be the halfback. And so Zonka was there the entire time. Mark Fleming was probably um, the, the one player on offense that didn't get the credit that um, he really should have more because he was the, the tight end and, and his ability to block one, two, and, and his ability, uh, he didn't catch a lot of passes because, you know, we threw to, we had Warfield and Twilley and, and kick out of the backfield. But, you know, he didn't drop the ball when he caught the ball. And so, you know, again, that was the, the value of teamwork is the, the coach would call the play and the players executed and did what they were supposed to do. 20-16 Miami after that Jim Kick 8-yard run, but the Dolphins had driven it downfield so fast, there were still 5 minutes left for the Miami defense to have to hold the door. They did force Cleveland to punt right away, but then the Dolphins' offense failed to get a first down. So the Browns took over near midfield with about 2 minutes left, needing a touchdown. Time for Mike Phipps to be a young hero on the road, a trip to Pittsburgh on the line. One more chance for upstart underdog Cleveland, again needing the touchdown here. The Browns would get to the Miami 34. Then, on a second down, Phipps tried to hit Fair Hooker over the middle. And what he didn't see was Doug Swift crossing over from the right. Swift made a diving catch for the interception. 
and cement the first round playoff win. It was actually Swift's second interception of the afternoon, and he recalls it for us now. That thing came right at me, and miraculously, I held on to the thing. You know, I, I rarely did I ever expect to have interceptions, but here I had in this game, and I got that ball, and I was so thrilled. And I thought, you know, I sort of, I would play, I'd be playing for the the, the kids back at home, really. You know, I was thinking of them, and they, they said, if you ever, I can say, if you ever intercept them, you better put on a show. Yeah, he probably just should have gotten down, but hey, put on a show. Why not? Five picks on this day for Miami. Two from Swift, two from Anderson, one from the underrated cornerback, Curtis Johnson. The final stats from this game. Morrill, 6 out of 13 for 88 yards. That's it. 47 carries from those banged-up running backs compared to the 13 passes. An average of only about 3.5 yards per carry. But the big blocks punt, the five interceptions, the two field goals of 40-plus from your premium. And it was enough to get it done. All these years later, the guys all still recall that game-winning drive in which Paul Warfield emerged. We'll give him the final word you know, about this day. That, we knew that was our uh, probably final opportunity to uh, win that ball game. And uh, I remember the talking out that uh, we needed to really uh, uh, make a statement and by making a statement, really score a touchdown. Uh, there was fierce determination in the huddle. And of course, we were led by the veteran Earl Marl, who, uh, in my mind, uh, and I acquired Earl that year, it was a magnificent move uh, by our head coach, Don Shula, to bring in, really, in my mind, the Roland O'Reilly fingers of uh, professional football, one of the greatest relief pitchers uh, that the game has ever known. And and Earl, with his veteran experience and uh, ability, uh, certainly made a couple of key throws, and I, I was fortunate to make catches on those, uh, those throws and uh, lead us to the game winner and put us on top of the, the Cleveland Browns so that we can advance in the tournament. With the Browns having to fly back to Cleveland on Christmas Eve, no less. So next up for Miami, Terry Bradshaw, Lynn Swan, Franco Harris, and that steel curtain Pittsburgh Steeler defense. Not at home, but on the road. Ridiculous, right? Dolphins now 15-0. Pittsburgh would come in 12-3. And the Steelers getting the home game potentially in the late December Western Pennsylvania snow. Come on, man. But hey, at least it's onward and upward. One win away from a return trip to the Super Bowl as champions of the AFC. This is Josh Lewin thanking our guests on this episode, thanking you for tuning in, and reminding you the happy final score from the final home game of the season, Miami 20, the Cleveland Browns 16.